Hi guys, welcome back. It's another wonderful, say wonderful, it's going to be wonderful this week. We've got three great guests. Wonderful episode of Pass the Syrup, uh, the podcast that tries to take a light-hearted look at some of the waffle floating around the world of the state agency. You know, in theory, we're going to put a little syrup on it, make it a little bit more palatable for everyone. This week, I am joined by three fantastic guests. Um, let me introduce first Wendy Peterman. Doesn't need any introduction. Uh, Wendy Peterman of Peterman's. Uh, founded a long, long time ago. Wendy's approaching 20 years at Peterman's. Uh, hard to believe. Uh, great business, but we actually met at the Bulldogs uh, director's dinner, sat next to Wendy, second dinner, had a lot of fun, really nice chat. Didn't talk about anything state agency related, um, which is really refreshing, he says, as he starts a podcast all about state agency. Um, wonderful, Wendy. How are you, my love? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, if I remember, because it was before we'd had a couple of drinks, um, we talked about gym and keep fit most of the we time. Did, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we started drinking, yeah. And then we started um, drinking. Yeah. yeah. Wendy's um, fitness regime is nothing short of impressive. Really impressive. Well, apart from yours, but yes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I love you too. Um, <laughs> next up, we've got Adam Horton of Horton's. Um, one of my favorite brands, truly. Um, you've just nailed the branding, the look, the feel of the business. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fanboy. But I'm also finding country, so thank you. Yeah, there's a little bit of like, oh yeah, that's I like that. We should we should try and pinch that. Uh, but Adam, brilliant agency, um, approaching ten years. Although I'm not really sure, I'm going to leave that to you to explain. Adam, thanks for joining us. How are you, mate? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, and thanks for your kind words as well. I appreciate <laughs> it. You're you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and then, not all superheroes wear capes. Joe Rylett has stepped up. I know it's hard to tell because you can't exactly 100% see him. He's a bit blurry and sort of hiding <laughs> in the back. But there he is. There he is. Um, oh. Joe of EXB, 17 years. I think we probably started an estate agency within weeks of each other. Um, started with Saul and Gardner. What a place to start. Jane Gardner, the lunatic that she is, also knows a little bit about estate agency. Um, Joe, we're in awe of you making yourself available within hours. How are you, sir? Good, good. I'm feeling a bit, a little bit nervous. I feel like I've been training with my Sunday League team, and now I've kind of like appeared with a few um, uh, Man City or Liverpool or sort of thing. I feel a little bit, a bit nervous. <laughs> well, that, I'm just um, a man in a bedroom. I'm, I'm one of those bedroom estate agents. But obviously, these guys have built massive, great businesses. So. Well, that is. I mean, there's a couple of things there that are going to straight away make the short form little clips we produce for social media. I've gone from Sunday League to Man City and Liverpool. Um, depending on how you feel, that could be derogatory or that could be positive. Um, as a QPR fan, uh, I hate football now, obviously, obviously. Uh, but Joe, no, seriously, thanks for swooping in and saving the day. Um, no doubt everyone's going to be brilliant. Let's crack straight on. We're going to get into Sam Offley of um, Aging Together, the mentor-mentee charity set up a couple of years ago. We're going to get straight into his weekly clip uh, where his mentees are looking for some advice. So I'll play it for you guys. And you give us your thoughts. Hello, Pastor Sarah guests. Now, having a strong network is super important. So my question to you this week is, what advice would you give someone who's trying to develop their network? What, would you, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to develop their network? Um, which I think is a good question. I think the world of estate agency has changed so much in the last 20 years. Um, when I started on the high street at a um, reasonably well-known brand in London, we were not friends with other estate agents. That was not the done thing. You did not get on with the neighbours, even though you had to work through transactions together. You spent half your time hiding keys. 
So um, I think the world has changed drastically for the better. Um, and networking is a huge part, I think, of the future of estate in this country. So, um, Wendy, let me fire that to you first. What advice would you give? Okay, well, um, I would say uh, if you're an owner and you're struggling, go to one of the Bulldog Brothers dinners because it's a really friendly, comfortable way of networking. But if not, go to one of the uh, property mark functions or which is a bit intimidating, but put yourself out of your take yourself out of your comfort zone. I went I went the other week to actually it's probably only the second one that I've ever been to in 20 years. And I just sat next to people and started talking to them. It was absolutely brilliant. So I think you do have to kind of push yourself. It's not an easy thing to do, but go to something like a landlord's a landlord association or property mark function where if you really feel you get a bit scared, you can leave and no one will know. Um, but, you know, see who you can talk to and just uh, meet. You'll find people that you've seen on social media as well that you can actually meet in real life, as um, I did when I went to the Bulldog Brothers dinner. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would suggest. And uh, you're absolutely right. You, you can find people you've seen on social media and it's the nicest thing in the world for you to yeah. go to them and say, hi, I've seen you on social media. I love your video. I love your content. I watch this. It's such a nice opener. As estate agents, everyone, I think everyone assumes estate agents are extroverts and hosting a podcast probably sounds ridiculous, but I wouldn't describe myself as a stereotypical extrovert. And so going over and talking to someone you never met, you know, over the year, it's an acquired skill. But yeah, yeah bite the bullet, do it. I think most of the guys putting stuff out on social media are really open to having a chat. And that opens up so many doors. So yeah, great advice. Um, Adam, what do you think? Um, I think uh, do it without any expectation of like a return from it. I think uh, a lot of people go networking and uh, attend events, like join the BNI, like all this sort of stuff, um, expecting to get um, something back from it and see it from a... Um, I don't know, a, see a commercial benefit in it. But I think actually, if you just go and try and add value to other people and just be a helpful, valuable contact to other people, then you naturally attract valuable contacts yourself. Um, and uh, if you do that with no expectation, year after year after year, um, like decade after decade, then um, your, your network can become pretty valuable. But um, I think people go in thinking, right, I'm going networking give me the business and it, and, or like, give me the opportunities or whatever it may be. And um, I think that's what leaves people disappointed, but also re repels good contacts away from you because they're not going to, they're not, they're not attending events just to like, um, I don't know. Uh, pe people are very helpful from my experience if you ask them for help, but um, yeah, you need to, to provide some value um, up front to, uh, to be able to, to leverage that network. Yeah, I think that there's a big difference, isn't there, between asking for help and asking for business. And you mm. go to an event, you ask for help, and you want to be the person that, you know, I've seen you online, I love your stuff. Would you introduce me to a few people? Because I'm new here or whatever. That's one thing, as opposed to BNI is such a good example. I was made to go to BNI um, as a young estate agent working for a brand. Every It was a Friday morning. Of all the mornings, well, Friday morning, as a young man, I enjoyed a beer on a Thursday night, and that was just out the window. Um, and I would mm. have to go, you know, it's, it's a 6am club and you'd I remember feeling physically sick getting up that early. <laughs> well, well I, yeah, that, routine, that routine is grounded in now. Uh, maybe that's a one good yeah, thing. Yeah, same here. <laughs> um, but yeah, you'd go to BNI 
And the expectation from the boss was that, well, what'd you get? What'd you get out of that? What'd, what'd you bring back? You know, I'm paying for you to go every week and I'm <laughs> paying for me to go. I don't want to go. You don't have to pay. Um, well, you've got to bring back some business. You know, um, John, who used to do it, used to get business every week. And it's, oh. So yeah, I think it's a real clear distinction because I think what Sam's question is more, how do you get to meet people in an agency and grow a network and, and develop what I would regard more as, as friendships actually than, you know, creating business opportunities. But yeah, B&I, oh, that, oh, I'm getting all sorts of flashbacks. Um, Me too. Bring that up, Adam. You know what I mean, Wendy? Horrific. I hated it. Yeah. It's just people really love it, don't they? They love their B&I. I remember a gardener at B&I saying um, he did all his business there. And the first story he told when I joined, you know, they sort of they go around and was telling little stories, was how as a young man, he pretended to be an estate agent because they're all cowboys and they go out and they just spend all day on viewings. And he was actually building his garden gardening business. I was like, mate, you're killing me. Like, I've literally shut up. It's my first week. You're not helping <laughs> me here. What are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah. Bloody B&I. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, there's people watching this. Or what, not right now, so alive. People watching this berating me. B&I is amazing. Just, yeah, I guess I was too young and immature. And I, anyway, I'm waffling. Uh, Joe, Joe, pull us back from the brink because I'm talking too much. What would your be advice be around networking? This is where all my B&I uh, chapter members want me to say it's amazing, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. I did it as an employee and it didn't work. I do do it myself now, but I haven't, I might get to the end of this year and might not have made any money out of it, but Adam's absolutely right. Um, things have come from it two years down the line, three years down the line or led to other things and it is a game and you've got to play it. But yeah, I don't, I don't love it. Um, but it works on a certain level for me, but no, my, my tip for, for networking is a bit, a bit more simple. It's a bit more sort of, is, is pick that up pick that up there's there's so much in your phone that you don't realize the amount of contacts we have nowadays and when especially with my network the exp network when people start we we tell them that's a big instruction where just pick it up see who's in there see who they know see who they might know because it all branches out to other people so um ring your mates you know they might not be your instruction but they might know someone that's going to be your next instruction so um i'm constantly speaking to other agents in my model and other models as well i just pick up the phone i'm going to call that guy because he's that was really nice what he did there call him and then he gives me a tip i get something back so yeah it's just use your phone i know it sounds obvious as much as possible yeah i mean it, it is great advice i i listen to a lot of um north american podcasts like really good coaches and the your model, self-employed model, you know, so much more prevalent in North America and the lead generation work that they do in North America is absolutely essential. And there's an, you know, I hear them saying things like, you know, don't be scared of the phone. It just makes me laugh. Like who's, you know, how can the state agent be scared of the phone? Which, which, what does that even mean? Um, but you're right. It, yeah, it's, I guess maybe also next generation are much more used to doing this than that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that, that could be people's downfall at time. Yeah, I, I was on not a podcast, but something with another agent who's fairly well known. Um, and he's built a, a business sort of slightly new model. And he said, I don't make phone calls anymore. And I tell my guys not to. And I was just like, what the hell are we talking about here? Everything is digital. And I said, I, I have to disagree. I think there's got to be a blended approach. Digital plays a part, but you can't be having a good conversation. I mean, I, I, I'm just I'm, I'm adamant on that one. Um, but there's one other thing I have to mention, which no one's mentioned, and Sam will kill us if we don't. That if you're, if you're, you, you know, obviously this came from mentees in the network. But if you're not a mentee and you're struggling with networking, you could become a mentee. You could talk to Sam at Agents Together, and he can introduce you to a great mentor, and that mentor can then guide you on 
on you know networking or whatever it might be so it's a really great initiative uh wendy you're you're a mentor aren't you yeah. um adam joe i'm a mentor and a mentee good for you mm. it's great and yeah that's the other thing to consider um people i think there's a uh you know maybe an incorrect bias that people think a mentee is someone who's new to the industry but it's not that is it anyone could be a mentee at any time i've had yeah. so many mentors over the years um because every, you know I I didn't know today what yeah I didn't know 20 years ago what I know today and there's definitely someone out there more experienced more relevant yep. special thing I need some help with um one more thing Joe actually the point you made about being on your phone if for, from a networking perspective if you're not so confident to physically go do it you can start networking online actually it's so much easier you can use social to begin the networking cycle and reach out to people and speak to people and grow it without physically attending events if that if that's an issue um, there are so many different ways, but look, great, great ideas, great points, guys. Really good start. Sam will be very happy with that. I know he will. I get a text message 48 hours after posting the video. He's normally very pleased. Um, let's get on to some, something a bit more meaty. So it's rare, but I've decided to print something that I read in the trade press um, about sales transactions. Now, let me give you some stats. You probably read the same piece. Um, a recent survey from Moverly, which helps with sort of upfront uh, information for a, a sale of a purchase, said that almost two thirds of home sellers who sold in the past year experienced delays. Now, that, I mean, groundbreaking. Can't believe it. Two thirds <laughs> of sellers have experienced delays in the last year. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. 63% specifically encountered delays. 35%, <laughs> this is a great line. Uh, felt that having to regularly deal with their estate agent was a laborious task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I, I can see it. I get it. Um, but we've, yeah, we're getting to a place where people just don't want to do anything anymore. They expect everything on a plate. But there's some, there's some, there's some meat to this. They also found that 42% felt the same way about dealing with their conveyancer. So the conveyancer was was marginally worse than we were. Um, one in five saw their transaction collapse. So 20% of sales falling through. That's actually lower than, than current running average. One in 10 had a fall through more than once. That's a horror show. We've all dealt with those poor sods. That is awful, awful. Um, apparently, supposedly, 39% would be happy to pay for a home information pack. So we're back at hips. Of course we are. Of course we're having this conversation again. 53% um, would, would have paid for it if it meant avoiding a fall through. Um, 39 would have uh, just to speed up the transaction. In terms of what they're willing to pay, uh, half would pay £100 for a comprehensive hit, 30% would pay £250, and some as much as £1,000. Now, re relevant there, only some. So I think we could take it as one or two people might have said they'll pay £1,000. They've given no data around that. Um, so look, hips, hips, it's come, it's gone, is it on the way back? Um, really, this was a yeah. You know, this is a, a puff piece where you know, it's an advertorial, if you like. Sales transactions, depending on where you look, supposedly anywhere between four months and six months now, on average, up and down the UK. Um, why? Why can we not get this sorted out in this country, Adam? I'm going to come to you first. Why is it such a difficult process to sell a home in this country? Yeah, yeah, that's a question, isn't it? Um... <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> Um, I think, well, can I, can I turn this back round? Because I, I got into a state agency in 
2010, 2011. Um, and um, that could, you guys will, will probably uh, probably know, but uh, hips uh, went out. What was it like 2009 or something like um, is that that's when they, they stopped, yeah, stopped doing the original sense. hips packs. What was the reason for that? Like, were they just not working? Because for to answer your question, Ben, like, um, it, I, I haven't got the experience of dealing with them and um, understanding what was in the market previously and why it didn't work. Because it seems like a really obvious thing to do. My from what I remember is that people just agents mainly weren't getting behind them. They weren't. Right. Um, they weren't well packaged up. Um, what should be something that streamlines the process actually created additional roadblocks. Yeah. You know, it should be, yeah. here's a pack that makes your life easier, but here's a pack that doesn't have full data. Um, some of the information is a little bit wrong. Um, who's paying for it? How are we dealing with it? There was lots of um, that favorite line, but we've always done it that way. Yeah, but it was also that yeah. even though there was a survey in it, no one believed the survey because it was the vendor's survey. And so everyone, including the mortgage companies, wanted another survey which is actually at that time took quite a long time so the most important mm. piece of the hip was a survey that was supposed to speed everything up and no one believed it so they all got other surveys if we, yeah if we don't uh, believe in it yeah. how can we pitch it yeah because the other thing that came to mind is that anything like this which it needs to be um a non-negotiable doesn't it? it needs to be absolutely um standard and and those sort of things um like uh with yeah with the hindsight of people not trusting surveys like that should just be built into the legislation about how you overcome that i, I don't know the answer to it but like um yeah it's got to be um in the same way that people now well um we don't have trouble getting people to pay for epcs and make sure that epcs yeah. are on properties so the, the the same process um this needs to be applied to um upfront information packs like it's i i, I don't see i can't understand what the big hurdle with with it is other than just getting government to prioritize it and get behind it whoa whoa, whoa government to prioritize something around housing that may, might make our life easier i mean we yeah. can call it a day cut this podcast now here i mean <laughs> every it's week we point. go on to government <laughs> and politicians just breaking something yeah. that they're meant to be fixing um joe what's your yeah. experience i totally agree with adam if there's if there's some sort of package up front that's agreed and it's made to be the norm um and then we're allowed to say to people this is the norm you have to do it to sell your house like epcs it's going to cost you x amount and we educate um the public and the clients it's going to be a lot easier but then you've just said straight away well is that going to happen are the government going to do it so i don't think they will <laughs> there's so many other yeah. priorities it shouldn't be priorities and they're making such a hash of other stuff um and as it happens there's not even a collective voice around this so for us to want the government to do it we haven't even got a unified voice from a state agency saying this is the way to do it got different people saying different things. Go on, when are we going to say? I, I just, I'm just not sure that that's the way that anything's going to, is going to speed up any transactions, to be well, fair. What's uh, uh, sorry, solicitors out there, conveyances. Um, but, you know, you, and, and it actually it's conveyances and mortgage companies because we're quite happily going along with our sales until we get the most ridiculous requests from from solicitors and from lenders that are 
so time consuming and they can take months and months and months that whether you had some kind of pack or not, it's not going to have every single piece of information in it that a lender apparently now wants that no one's ever heard of before, which is what seems to be going on at the moment. And transactions are taking a really long time. And, and I'm talking about freehold transactions, not even leasehold. Don't go there with leasehold transactions. So a hit, is, a hit might be great and it might speed things up a bit, but I think there needs to be more clarity about what the requirements are, what lenders need, and what conveyances can accept so that everyone knows what it is they're even supposed to be supplying. So I, I feel like you're saying we need improved communication, which I completely agree yeah, we with. We definitely do. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's a pipe dream, isn't it? You know, yeah. the left yeah. hand doesn't talk to the right hand. Um, the I know conveyances take a lot, of, lot, a lot of slack on this. And actually, I don't think estate agents should be throwing stones from the greenhouse glass houses that we live in sometimes. Getting an estate agent to call you back. I've purchased property before. I'm an estate agent. I understand how the game works. I offered a buying service. Well, I said buying service. We trialled a buying service on a really close friend of ours. And I said, I'll negotiate the terms for you and I'll run the, the sale for you. So I want to see if this is a viable business model. I could not get them to call me back to increase the offer. We um, were going to buy this property and they weren't calling back. Oh, well, you know, uh, someone's on holiday and this and that. It took me six days to get hold of them to increase an offer that they subsequently went on to buy it. I was terrified. I could not believe that I've said to my friend, I'm going to do this for you on with this particular agency. Because if it took six days just to put an offer forward, conveyancing is going to be a horror show. But agents up and down the land, you know, we've got to hold our hands up. There's plenty out there that are not good at coming back to people, not good communicators. The horror stories around conveyances, we had one case, that must be a few years ago now, where they would only return calls one day a week. Oh, I've just I've just had an email saying you can only phone me on a Tuesday and a Thursday between 10 and 4. It's amazing. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. What, what a world. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the first time we found out, I think we called that it was something like let's say we called them on a Wednesday and say uh, and the voicemail said we only take calls on a Tuesday and we're like so we've got <laughs> like six days to speak to you <laughs> this is absolutely insane um and I get it that everyone's busy but you know talk about living in a world of excuses this is crazy surely yeah. we're not so busy that we can't have conversations we can't take calls yeah. I'm completely with you Wendy I don't you know hips or some sort of advanced pack yeah nice idea will help with certain bits and pieces I like the idea of ordering searches at point of instruction as a Except seller. Except that they're only valid for three months. But yeah, and it only works in the right, yeah, market conditions. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're if if you punchy on price, it's a big risk. Um, yeah. But yeah, for me, it's a communication um, thing. I don't know how we got any ideas on how we improve that with so many different parties. Adam? Well, one thing I was thinking of, um, uh, these type of firms obviously exist. And when you see a buyer provide their solicitor's details, you don't recognize the firm and you kind of hope for the best. Um, mm -hmm. And you get surprised with a firm that only takes phone calls on Tuesdays. You just think, well, I'm never touching these guys again. Maybe we should be more proactive generally as estate agents. I know you can't, obviously this, we, we want to keep away from the conditional selling element of, of this, but um, ed educating buyers and sellers to um, be to for you to act as a trusted advisor and like uh, steer 
buyers and sellers into using conveyances based purely on their track record. And I know agents will, a lot of people will be earning commissions from conveyances and that's the reason they do it. But if you've got a network of um, four, five, six, seven conveyances that you really, really trust, and you've got one of each on each side and they're used to working with each other because you're always between the transaction. Like um, I think back to transactions that I've had where I've just had two brilliant people either side carrying out the conveyancing and you like, um like you basically don't need to do much like they're, they're just <laughs> controlling it and that's no, the, that's the way that, that, yeah and that's the way it should be i think um yeah. uh i'm all for a sales progression service and holding the client's hand and we it, i think it's a crucial part of it but actually if the lawyers are really good um theoretically we should just be acting as marketing agents and the only reason that sales progression is such a big part of agency's business is because we're having to deal with um often poor communication yeah yeah completely we, in our our business okay. so, so finding country we're, we're quite lucky um the profile of property and as such the buyer and seller um they um they will normally instruct reasonably good. They're not necessarily motivated by the price of a conveyancer. Whereas, you know, mm. in our old business, absolutely, you know, oh, well, my uncle Dave said I should use this conveyancing farm because he used them and they're amazing and they charge 149 pounds. You think, oh, that's not going to go particularly well. And, you know, you're absolutely right. We should be able to advise. And I think great agents do advise and do have their, their selection of conveyances. And I hope to God it's not a selection of conveyances that pay the most in terms of a, a commission mm. and it's much more about they get the sale through because surely that's that's the commission you want to earn the sale going through not the the tiny little you know the the backhand yeah. that it doesn't do much um but yeah there's always going to be that that group isn't there that are just motivated by the cheapest option out there just like the fee merchants who refuse to pay you know i don't know what about one percent um but sorry back to the point i was going to make is in finding country what we're really lucky is because we have someone who looks after conveyancing in our team who's got 10 years experience She's one of the most valuable people you could ever choose to work with because she is like a dog with a bone. She won't enjoy me saying that, but it's a nice way to say she's absolutely exceptional. She doesn't let anything go and she'll chase down everybody involved. And the best thing you can be is involved in a transaction with Alice because Alice will hold every agent in that chain to account and she will pull all the strings and no one is allowed to get away of anything. Um, but you know, for instance, in Joe's Joe's role, where you're self-employed and you don't necessarily have access to someone's effort, you, you need the system to work better than it currently works. I think that's where we fall down because the Alice's of the world, I don't know, in 10 years, the self-employed model is, is expanding, expanding, expanding. The makeup of our business, would you have a, would you have someone who's head of conveyancing in a small business? Probably not. So we we're, need the, we're the Alice. To work we're the Alice in our own in yeah, our own yeah. companies. Yeah. And so Joe, how do you what proportion do you think of your time is spent? I was going to say wasted, which is such a you know negative word, but spent on conveyancing when you could be doing more productive stuff. I am uh, self-admittedly the worst for time management and routine, so I am really kind of uh, off the cuff. So I haven't got in my diary. Try it sometimes. Tuesday morning sales progression, Thursday morning sales progression. I I because I don't run volume. I'm able to keep my files and do them on a sort of ad hoc basis. So. Yesterday afternoon, I sent some emails, made some calls. Today, I'm going to do some updates, but it's not like so. I don't, I don't get overly consumed with it because when I do it, I do it properly and I make sure I get answers. So I haven't got a sort of. And there are people that don't come back to you clearly. And just on conveyances, there are good ones. I know we're all like kind of. There are some oh, yeah, good ones. Are. 
I recommend yeah, a sure. good one. But what I do is I recommend a conveyancer and a couple of traditional solicitors that are local to me, to my clients. And I allow them to sort of make the choice. And if they want some guidance, um, I'll give it to them. Um, but yeah, I've got one at the moment um, that works quite well, but I know you're only as good as your last your last deal as well. So they could be good to start with and then let themselves go. We've had that with many conveyancing firms in the mm -hmm. past. Um, so yeah, I don't get overly consumed with it. And um, I used to be a masochist for sales progression. I was literally just, got so stressed out of it and just and now it's, it sounds a little bit defeatist but sometimes I now go look oh, do you know what what will be or be and I hate to I hate to think like that um because you still have the ability to influence it so much we just had a I just had a 21 day exchange last nice. week it nice. can happen and do you know what like we just said there it was good old-fashioned communication um the solicitor for the buyers was calling me Without me chasing him off his own back to proactively tell me what he needed from the other side. I mean, that's like gold that's dust. You must have had a motivated buyer that desperately then, wanted so the to buy that. So the buyer was motivated. Good, good communication with their solicitor saying we've got yeah. to make this happen in 28 days. Um, the solicitor listened to them, which is great. He's calling me to say I need this. I need this from the other side. I call the other side. Bang, he's got it in 24 hours, and that was it. Good old-fashioned communication. It still works, but on the once, once in, once in a blue moon. Was that so, Joe? Did you in that instance? Firstly, um, send me the name of that conveyancer. They can definitely go on our list. Oh well, I, um, I go, I go to them, and then I go and take them out for tea and coffee, and I go and meet them and say, let's do some more stuff. And right. then you find out after a few if they're that good all the time, or was it just yeah. one? But I, I try and reach out to them to see, okay, so can we work together again? Yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds great. But did you um, at, at the start of putting when that property went under offer? Did you set no. timeframes? Did we have, we've got a goal of 28 days to exchange. Was that, was there, was there a reason for that? Or cause in our old company, we used to set timeframes around every single element of the conveyancing process. There's a timeframe pinned to it to try yeah. and draw that exchange in as quickly as possible. Admittedly, there was someone in the chain that was threatening they were going to be homeless and a, and a new build <laughs> developer at the top saying we've got to I get this done. Otherwise our end of month for council change. That was all there. Um, but we still had to do it. Still had yeah. To do it. Yeah, which proves it can be done. That's mm. I mean, that's proof of theory is we can get to exchange in 21 days if we want to. There so, was a mortgage in there as well, and there was chain below and chain above, so it wasn't just a straightforward one transaction. With when that exchange, you must have been floating around the bedroom. Just this is yes. Yeah, the house itself was an absolute pig's ear to sell. <laughs> it was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. At one point, I thought it would never sell. So yeah, very happy when that one exchanged. Well, well done, and also. I like the, uh, you know, your low volume, so you're shooting from the hip. Starting to see why you're available at very short notice on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> That's very, very helpful. Very in the diary. helpful. <laughs> I've got a okay. like a better way to manage a diary. I like the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, well, no, I couldn't. My OCD brain would go absolutely insane if I've got, if I'm not mapped out minute by minute. I... Okay, so yeah. um, long and the short of it, we don't know how to fix transactions <laughs> unless people start talking to each other properly. Say, you know, I guess we've been saying that for years, haven't we? Um, so there could be something, um, some uh, which we I know on LinkedIn and other places we've talk, talked about this before, but some kind of commitment from a buyer and a seller that they're actually going to carry on with the sale purchase because there's nothing at the moment to stop and. I've literally just had it with one of mine. It hasn't had a, a bad effect on me, but it certainly has on the agent above where 
my vendor was looking at something they've gone quite a long way down the line with a certain property and then went to look at another one and has just decided they don't want that one anymore and now they want that one and so that there's nothing that says that you you know there's nothing anywhere that basically ties a buyer and a seller to actually commit to the purchase well one so we use um a product so yeah this i mean so this is exactly why we're only covering two subjects because we're about to turn subject number one into a second. We're going to go on an offshoot here, which is good sure. because the false rate in this country and the way, actually, the way our industry works is it's almost embarrassing when you speak to estate agents from other areas of the world and you tell them what can happen and it yeah, and they just look at you completely dumbfounded. Like, you know, in this day and age, you can be three months into progressing a sale and you can fall through on day of exchange. Yes, that's legitimately how... And the difficulty you have trying to convince an international buyer this is a process you have to go through if they come from the middle east or asia they cannot get their head around it and they they genuinely think something dodgy is going on here this can't be right um we use a product called gazelle which is fantastic um this is a shout out to gazelle if, if anyone out there um is interested you should be contacting brian mansell um in fact i'll put his details on the on the on the content um below the video so anyone can contact him gazelle is a product it's um it's a it's a it's a lock-in agreement if you like buyer and seller both agree to it they pay a deposit now the terms of the deposit can be um or pay a fee sorry it's not a deposit they pay a fee uh the buyer can pay it the seller can pay it they can agree to split it but they have to pay a fee and it's in essence an insurance product so adam is buying wendy's home and it's a two million pound property they both want to proceed they want to lock in the deal so they agree to pay a fee with a lock-in agreement to the value of £50,000. What that means is if either party pull out, they owe the other side £50,000. And it's really, really good. We do it on probably four out of five of our sales that get agreed, and it holds deals together. When something else comes to the market and the buyer's thinking, oh, I might have a go look at that. Is it worth, am I happy to walk away from £50,000 to buy another property? Probably not. Uh, and likewise, gazumping, it really, you know, it's going to have to be a huge gazump for it to be worthwhile for the seller to jump ship and take on the penalty. And sorry, I've, I've quoted £50,000 there. You can do uh, much smaller amounts depending on the value of the transaction. You can do, I think you can do £5,000, £10,000, um, right up to £100,000 depending on the, as I say, the value of the home. But it's brilliant. And we, um, it's, as I say, we're on about roughly four out of five deals solid there are reasons where someone can pull out so if it's a bad survey or there are major issues or if a chain collapses so a buyer is not held to account if the chain below collapses um but in our experience that works really really well um mm -hmm. it's about presenting it correctly and showing the value to both parties which we think i would say especially at the moment certainly it's it's almost been easier for us to put this forward to buy the sellers the last few months because there's quite a lot of uncertainty around. That's a great product and it's worth you guys speaking to. Anything else you guys do to try and keep keep deals together or or, or anything of that sort of well, remit? This um when you were talking earlier about like how to solve the the issue like generally with the with the process. Um I was thinking like technology is something that's really difficult to predict, but with Gazelle, like I know that is fundamentally an agreement, but it's a technology product, isn't it? It's something that people can sign into and it's facilitated through a portal and, and stuff, isn't it? Um, yeah. From what I can remember. 
Um, but like we're like technology that affects um, the process of moving home, I think is is like moving more quickly than it's ever done. And you've got things like um, AI and um, how like blockchain technology and stuff could um, uh, could impact the way that like the land registry is managed and all sorts of things where it, it seems like um, uh, what we've discussed is things around communication and trying to like, yeah, a hip pack, um, kind of making the process go a bit smoother. But um, yeah, I know there's lots of really great companies that are working on just trying to unify it through technology. And we could be, who knows, it could be a year or two or a decade or two away from having a process that is so much more streamlined. And to me, it's like that's that's quite exciting because you, that's something that's really difficult to predict, but we're seeing signs like Gazeal that, um, like, yeah, with adding in a bit of tech here and there, can completely uh, um, that that alleviates the problem, hopefully, of fall throughs. And you only need platforms to kind of unify all these things and bring it into one uh, one product, which will probably happen eventually. Um, and we're living in a completely different world, and suddenly the whole thing's completely so much easier. Um, I mean, who knows? It's crystal ball gazing, but that to me is pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, on, specifically on blockchain, I think blockchain really is exciting. How, how we can join up the dots uh, and pull all the different uh, sources of information together, um, especially from a leasehold perspective. We all know the, 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 the joy of selling leasehold properties. Um, our old business was a 75% leasehold transactions town. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was lots and lots of fun. I'm lying. Um, and so, yeah, and <laughs> blockchain, the ability to pull all the information together, I think the next couple of years, we'll see some some quantum shifts in how transactions progress. Yeah. But until then, we've got to speak to each other. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. And be honest. So, go on, Wendy. And be honest. Please. Because, no, I'm saying when we speak to each other, be honest. Oh, and be honest. I thought you said, and can be, I be honest? honest. Because <laughs> not being funny, you need estate agents out there need to at least be honest to each other and tell them the whole story because a lot of the times uh, I mean we do our own sales progression we don't have a sales progressor and you know obviously we deal with agents all over the place we just all need to be honest with each other because we're all in it together there's no point someone only half telling a story because they're worried about their bit because it actually isn't gonna make any difference if nothing we just need to all help each other have you ever had that situation where an agent rings you up to do a chain check and your vendor isn't under offer they've not got a buyer um yeah. and they, they ask you the question and and wendy i'm sure you do having said that and i do sorry they've not got an offer they've not got a buyer you know yeah. they should have bloody told me that they were going to call them anyway but i still wouldn't yeah, like exactly. them anyway but yeah. what percentage of agents do we think will actually lie in that situation too many yeah. too many unfortunately absolutely absolutely it's yeah i mean it's all too it's all too common. Um, uh, the, sorry, I, I've I'll just stop got. Lying the, though, can we then? <laughs> well, on the on the subject of chain checks, that in itself is such an. I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't happen properly at all, does it? We 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 will wait. Uh, so a chain comes together, and our client will say, "I'm I'm under offer. I'm good to go." Uh, have you spoke to the agent? No, how can you be under offer? Well, I've been under offer three days. How is that possible? But it's okay, we are going to go off on a rant here yeah. about training and making sure people understand. But yeah, you, you're right. Agents do need to tell each other the truth, be honest. Um, consumers also need to tell 
agents, the truth, consumers are the. Uh, thankfully, this is in the state agency podcast, so I'll get away with it. But consumers are the worst. They say agents are bad. You never get the true budget. You never get the full backstory. You never get the finance details exactly as they're meant to be. Um, and I say never, which is harsh, but more often than not, there's embellishment when they should just be wrong. Yeah, but how powerful is it when a buyer comes to you and they are super transparent? You're like, we've got a, like, there's a unicorn buyer here that's so much, like, (laughs) suddenly if they buy one of your houses, you're like, yes, this is actually going to go smoothly. Like, that's, as a buyer, that's such a powerful position to be in if you just lay the cards out and you're easy to work with. But it's Yeah, but then because, you know, uh, I won't speak for you guys, but 20 years in agency has made me cynical. And so the problem you've got is when a re- when a really great buyer or seller, you know, and they're being completely honest and they're being completely transparent. Oh, yeah, it's such a rarity that I get everything that you just don't know. It's really difficult to say. Um, yeah, we, we've all been in transactions where you think this is solid as a rock. We've got a great buyer, we've got a great seller, whatever it might be. This chain is going to come together really nicely. We worked on it for months to get it under offer. And now we finally found the right buyer. Our clients over the moon, they've got their onwards. And then it just doesn't happen. You think you just, you know, you know what, guys, I think we should move on to another subject. Um, (laughs) Let's get on to uh, green homes because they are, this is a very in vogue subject right now. Um, There's news pieces popping up all the time. The lettings market is, um, I think the lettings industry maybe is awash with EPCs and the changes to ratings and, and what's coming down, <laughs> excuse me, what's coming down the road. So in theory, by 2028, um, every uh, minimum standard on rental properties is going to be C, but that's not set in stone. It's not fact. Government, as usual, um, have no doubt in my mind that will change. And one piece I read last night said that they're almost certain that it'll be delayed again. So it won't yeah. necessarily be 2028. So interesting um let me pull off some stats for you guys because that's what i'm obviously really good at um right move recently conducted a report and they said that a greater proportion of properties entering the rental market that were previously for sale are now epc rating c which is a positive what they're really highlighting is that landlords are investing in properties that already meet the minimum requirement for epcs makes sense of course um they also point out that actually those that don't meet minimum requirement are coming away. So there's been a 16% increase in properties coming into the rental market that are A, B, or C, which is great. And the D to G rating is dropped by 11%. Makes sense. It's good to see landlords being proactive. Um, Two thirds of landlords surveyed said they would not buy a property if it was below rating C anymore. Um, and that's, a, that's quite a significant shift. Um, and those with poorly rated EPCs now say that, uh, a uh, third of them plan to sell rather than do the upgrade work, which is a little bit worrying, concerning that we're already in this sort of dire position with the undersupply of properties to the rental market. And now we've got a big chunk of landlords saying we can't do the work, we're not going to do the work. So what position does that put tenants in? What position does that put the lettings market in? And then on the other side, from a sales perspective, we've got um, Barclays looking at the number of homeowners that think it's the, the EPC ratings are important or energy efficiency is important. So 47% of homeowners agreed they would pay extra for properties that have undergone the following four improvements. So they want an air source heat pump fitted, which blew my mind that this was number one on the list. That absolutely blows my mind that that's the first one, an air source heat pump. They want solar panels, loft and pitch roof insulation and double or triple glazed windows. And they're willing, listen to this, they're willing to pay up to twenty-three thousand pounds 
for all four, which sell. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's uh, depending on pricing. If they if their home is valued above five hundred thousand, they'd spend thirty thousand pounds on it. Um, it represents six percent will pay a premium. Six percent of buyers will pay a premium for those things. So it's on the agenda. You know, green is on the agenda. Um, Joe, what's your experience at the moment when you're dealing with buyers, sellers, landlords? Is this a you know, anecdotally? Is this a conversation that's coming up much? No, <laughs> do we? So I, I don't do lettings, um, and I won't admit to be too well versed in green. Um, it's do, do people answer those surveys? Truthfully, are those surveys true? I, I do not. It doesn't come up a lot in conversations. I'm selling a house um, at the moment, which is it's a two point eight five million pound house, and I'm talking about rainwater rainwater harvesting and HVAC systems that these fancy aircon systems that drag in all the air and recirculating. The people I'm showing around are more interested in how the cinema room is going to be kitted out and how big the <laughs> gates are on the front. They're not, and I kind of. I've now changed my view. I'm, I'm wasting talking about that stuff. It's in the brochure, but it's not really things that they're actually, you know, chomping on. So, and general stuff in the market, it doesn't really come up much. EPCs don't even really come up that much for me. I mean, it might be different for the other people. I don't deal with volume, but one in one in one in a five hundred again, or child, what's the EPC rating? I get that every now and then. So that still doesn't really register much with Joe Public. I don't think. What What about you, Wendy? Because what we're looking at here, as usual, is advertorials. Barclays, the second piece about homeowners was a piece from Barclays who really are trying to push. They have a grant scheme. We can get a grant or, or a loan. I should have done my full research, but they've got for their mortgage customers, they want more mortgage customers to take advantage of this system so you can improve the energy rating of your property. So really, that's just a pitch. And the second piece from Rightmove, who knows what Rightmove are up to when they post a piece and they give you the data? Who knows what they're trying to achieve? So we'll stay away from that. That scary dark place. Um, but mean, Wendy, what, what do you think? What's happening on the ground well, in your area? Interestingly, um, the area that I'm in is all Victorian Edwardian properties. Um, we never expect, unless unless they've been specifically, you know, recently refurbished and modernised, we never expect a good EPC. Um, <clears throat> when we advertise for sale, um, no one no one cares about the EPC at all because everyone knows how Victorian houses are built and they're not, you know, buyers aren't stupid. So as far as we're concerned, we put the EPC on there. Um, if it's got solar panels, which hardly any of our properties do have, a bit like Joe, no one actually cares. Double glazing, definitely. People do want double glazing, but only if they're really nice sash window double glazings. Um, but on the profits, on the letting side, it is a totally different matter. And we are finding that we are having conversations with landlords who, because of all the other regulations and um, requirements by landlords, that actually having to then start paying for all these extra things is is contributing to their decisions to mm. sell because they 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 just can't afford to do everything. That you know, if it was if they were getting some kind of tax benefit or any benefit at all as a landlord, they might consider, but it, you know, um, certainly the occasional landlords or whatever you, you know, accidental landlords who just had a flat that they kept and then they got married and bought a house with their partner and thought, well, this is a good pension pot. It's a really expensive pension pot. It isn't a pension pot anymore. And those guys that are being asked to fork out all this money for all this extra, they're selling. Yeah. 
Yeah, they I mean, are selling, and it's going to be terrible for you know housing stock for tenants. And and actually, it all it means is that rents are going to go up, and poor tenants are going to have to pay even more to live somewhere. It's actually having the reverse effect. This this government is so stupid. Anyway, that's don't even start me on that rant of you know slash the wrist of the landlord to try and help tenants when actually all you're doing is hindering them. But anyway. Successive governments, I would yeah. say, yeah, the yeah, last yeah. 10 years have just, the, the competence or lack of competence is is terrifying. For something that in this country is, you know, it's right up there in terms of importance, the general public see housing and actually home ownership as hugely important, and yet it's a revolving door. Uh, you know, different minister every few weeks. We don't I mean, have... if they had a minister that had actually worked within the industry... That would be quite good. You, I mean, who else would hire someone with no experience whatsoever to run their business? Estate agents. No, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I, you know, I yeah, I, I, I talk, uh, yeah. This this has come up on a few podcasts that um, government are really, really um, doing damage, doing significant yeah. damage. Yeah. And the truth is, you can't see it getting any better. Which sounds awful. You know, I hate to say take such a pessimistic view. But you don't really see a route to positivity here. Landlords, landlords, there is going to be a significant exodus. Every piece you read, every data point says it costs a lot more to be a landlord. And now you want me to spend money on X. It doesn't. There are so many other investments. Bricks and mortar is a great investment. We all know that. But there are others that are more palatable now and easier to manage. Um Adam, what what are your network sort of on the ground? What are they experiencing when it comes to green homes? Is it any is it is it big for buyers, sellers, sellers hitting you with the old, my home's very efficient, it should be worth more money. Yeah. Um, the same same story for me, really. It doesn't seem to be um kind of anywhere near the top of people's uh priorities, unless it's a um unless you have got a seller who's particularly um kind of passionate about like uh green technology and they've they've personally invested all, all of this and they want that communicating to buyers but then the problem comes um like joe described a uh, uh, best part of three million pound house and the more interested in the cinema room you've you you've got sellers who are perhaps very passionate about it but that we've just got to cater for whichever buyer who's prepared to pay the most and if the people see the um uh, the value in the green credentials of the property great if they don't then we need to push the cinema room do you know what i mean like that's you you need to tailor it for the market but uh, yeah the the real issue um as wendy said is the the lettings uh, side of the business um i think um it's just going to massively exacerbate the supply issue like we're, we're dealing with lots of landlords that are offloading and um yeah this bigger issue of getting proper um kind of helpful uh direction from uh from government um it just isn't there like they need to make it as attractive as possible for landlords want to, to buy properties and put them in the the uh the rental supply like and they're doing everything to make it as unattractive as possible and um and part of me make feels like this is perhaps just it's almost like a a, a pr play i don't know whether it's london centric where there's um like uh like i suppose a, a market that is heavily dominated by by lettings um and uh obviously there's <laughs> there's got a huge sales market but there's a a lot of london buyers and you've got um a, a government that 
uh, perhaps doesn't understand the the nuances between the the London market and what's happening up in 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 Derbyshire. Like there's completely different priorities and different types of uh, of buyers and renters. Um, and um, yeah, it just seems like they're trying to create a narrative that seems popular, but is actually um, kind of going completely against what's actually going to make the difference to the average people's lives. Yeah, well, well, if they're trying to create a narrative that creates the perception of popularity, they have missed the target. I mean, they're they're in the wrong country. They've missed it. Well, I don't. I don't know. If you if you look at social media and look at the way that um, uh, a lot of people are reacting to, like the um, proposed rent reform bill, like from a typical renter's perspective, there are like you can find a lot of positive feedback about the ideas of. Um, kind of um, legislating for the way that um, rent increases can be done and um, like no fault evictions, that sort of stuff. Um, from a general consumer, like this, this, it has been received positively, but what they're forgetting is the massive amount of landlords who are completely put off by it. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I guess it's, it's anecdotal, isn't it? I'm not sure that um, the renters reform bill, to be very specific, is just a concept right now. And actually, is yeah. not you know it, it's a long way from being anything solid um, and and signed off. Um, my view is that tenants are unhappy and landlords are unhappy. I don't speak to many that say life's good. Landlords are pissed off about interest rates going up, costs going up, increased legislation, increased compliance. For the last ten years, I would say they feel like they've they've done three rounds with Tyson, and it's maybe time to move on. And and that I think is actually at the heart of government. That's what they want. They want um, the the the, the uh, unprofessional. They want the smaller landlords. They want that that market. They want to take control of that market, and they want build to rent to be the thing. And I'm sure they're dipping their toes into build to rent in all different ways that they possibly can. One of the um, a borough just down the road have invested really heavily in build to rent via local council, which I find almost astonishing. Um, but what's the impact? We had, a, this is years ago, we had a development, sorry, this is in a different borough. A build to rent development went live with something like 600 units. What, it went live in, the, that's, those 600 units came to market in, in less than a year. The impact on individual private landlords in that market was so significant because all of a sudden there's 600 more properties available. I've got a one bedroom flat and now there's, there's 200 more in the market. I'm never going to achieve the same. I might not even ever rent mine again because there's 200 properties that were built last year that look better than mine. There's such a lack of mm. um, what's the unintended consequence or maybe it is an intended consequence. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I don't think the government doing a very good job of, um, I mean, if they're people pleasing, which yeah, sure. We're what, 12 to 18 months away from a general election. So there's going to be a lot of people pleasing on the cards or attempted. Um, but yeah, I, <clears throat> I think we're in, um, you should put yourself courses. forward, Ben. Ha! Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, I'll, I'm just going to make a note of that, Adam. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Joe? Are you three guys seeing a little bit of a, a mini buy-to-let exodus at the moment? Because I am. Yeah. yeah. I've had the odd sale, not not lot lows, but I've had a couple of instructions that have been purely for this reason and they want to get rid, so. Yeah, as, of it, as I said, you know, the kind of accidental landlords, I think the portfolio landlords are at least yeah. able to kind of manage their way through things and also their buy it the way that they borrow money is different mm -hmm. the, the, the small landlords with one or two properties who have got buy to let mortgages 
and are facing all this other rubbish and sorry it's not rubbish but all this other stuff that um <clears throat> they're now having to do yeah they're definitely um on the way out and I don't know I know this is my in my own head and you may or may not agree is um is if the government don't want small landlords anymore and they're specifically trying to push them out of the market yeah. so that it's a bit like having only Tesco Sainsbury's and you know yeah. Asda and um they don't want the corner shop anymore uh yeah I completely agree yeah. I, I remember seeing in a manager's meeting for the old business something like 10 or 11 years ago and saying we're at the start of a 25-year process of saying goodbye to the individual landlord. That's that, that absolutely 100%. Um, and whoever gets in power next time round, I think they'll continue down the same vein. I think that's that's the goal. Right, well, massive positivity around green homes. We've gone from green homes to uh, <laughs> landlords leaving. Um, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Um, let's get on to some positivity. Let's talk about... So we're going to do a quick fire because we've we've... We're coming to that part in the podcast where we talk about you guys give us a bit of an overview of one great agent maybe you've worked with, you're aware of, you think they should get a shout out because this podcast is about positivity, contrary to the last 10 minutes. Um, we want to give a shout out to a great agent. And then if you could segue into one piece of advice. So anyone watching right now, what's working for you, what advice you give to, to really win in this market that might benefit other agents here. Can be something small, can be something big, whatever you fancy. Um, who would who would like to to throw up for throw up? No, go first. Adam, thanks for volunteering. That is really helpful, sir. Yeah. Um, Wendy's now scouring her mind. Oh, uh, my hand was just going <laughs> up. If you're not ready. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, for, in terms of a, an agent, a bit of a shout out. Um, I'm probably breaking the rules for this, but I'm going to say one of our own a guy called Tom Sturton. Um, if you don't follow him on social media, you should check him out. But um, for me, um, he's like the epitome of like a properly kind of a modern estate agent. Um, brilliant from a um, estate agency perspective, um, like service levels, experience he's got in the market. He gives great advice. He's, he says it as it is. He gives straight advice to people. Um, but, um, he's also, um, kind of really understood that actually the role of a modern day agent is so much more than that. It's becoming a content creator. It's kind of under the, the original tool of the trade was the phone, but now it's the phone, it's a camera, it's, um, kind of the Adobe suite it's, it, it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Um, and, um, he's, uh, gone out of his way to master all those tools better than, um, kind of almost any agent I've, I've, I've ever come across. And um, so, yeah, he's inspiring uh, me to try and up my game and realize that there's more to this than phones and, and emails. Um, in terms of advice, um, continuing on the social media theme, um, is uh, to get creative. Um, we felt like our social media presence was plateauing over over the past kind of year 18 months or so um and as a brand we felt like we were kind of doing things that pushed the boundaries and were a little bit different and that stood out and we kind of lost away with that and the way that we've um tried to attract attention from our local communities do stuff that is genuinely different and stand out and 
Um, and we do that by bringing together a, a team of, uh, we've got a marketing team where we get um, kind of five or six people together and uh, look at inspiration from all types of industries and brands to come up with um, uh, ideas that will, will help um, our content pop out. And as we've done that, um, interaction and engagement from our local community has been getting better and better and better. Um, and yeah, I think it's all too easy just to pop the pictures up on social media and that's that box ticked. Like every every post, every piece of content you put out needs to be its own individual project um, that needs its own producer and like concept and story that it's trying to tell. And uh, um, hard to execute, but even if you changes your your thought process on the next post that you put out to to want to jump out um a bit more then i think it's worthwhile very nice i mean that i love the idea and i completely agree with it and and encourage it is look outside of a state agency for ideas it, there's a lot of i like what he's doing i'm just going to copy that or that's a great idea that she's just produced i'm just going to rip it off there's so much good stuff away from a state agency and this, you get such inspiration. So yeah, that's a fantastic piece of advice and hopefully everyone will jump on it. Joe, over to you for your shout out and advice. Uh, I'm going to probably follow Adam's path and uh, name a guy in, because there's, there's over 400 XP ages now, which is crazy because I was, I, was, I was like the fourth. Um, and there's lots of people now that I'm seeing taking inspiration from a guy called Tony Ruby. Um, mm -hmm. He's basically built his business on being a community builder and he's built his personal brand fantastically well he obviously got a lot of advice from a guy called chris watkin at the beginning who's um, very good on telling people what to do with videos and personal branding and stuff and that's what i did as well um while i was mapping my way out of my old company because i knew i was going and i knew i was leaving the high street i started to get big on facebook started to do some videos started to build this um and i didn't think twice about putting my face on the board because in this this network and this brand it works 100 um so yeah tony ruby there's some other, there's loads of other great ones that are now performing really well but i'm really impressed with how he's um he's done um which gets me into the tip really with your personal branding um it's kind of one thing i've really enjoyed seeing recently is because ne i never used to happen before is seeing people within companies now do these videos where um, their personality is coming across. I wouldn't be able to do that at my old place. I, I pushed for it, pushed for it, pushed for it, but it just wasn't their way. Um, I think there was a guy, I think it's William H. Brown or Brown and Merry, one of the sequence groups. There's a guy doing his videos and he's just so raw and so authentic. And I love that. Hats off to them for letting him do that because a lot of companies won't do that. Whether he's building his way out of that because he wants to become a bedroom <laughs> estate agent like me, I don't know. Or whether he's just doing it because he loves it, enjoys it. I think it's great seeing people more in independence and corporate to do that now as well. But yeah, raw, if authentic, unscripted videos. Um, just be best. Actually, best advice I've been given um, is be vulnerable. And I'm now completely vulnerable on LinkedIn. I mean, if you'll see me crying or pictures of my kids about my weekend out or something, it's nothing to do with the agency. But I do that, and people go, "What's he doing that for?" But that's just what I do now. It, 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 I'm not planning it. It's just a off the cuff post. So. Adam, are you going to say something? Um, I was, but I've lost my train of thought. Oh, I'll fail you <laughs> out. Right. So I think talking. what we're getting is a look into Joe's recruitment policy. Find a corporate. Oh, I remember. doing video and uh, I don't recruit. I attract, Ben. I yeah. attract, I don't recruit. <laughs> well played, that, sir. Touche. I, um, I, I was just going to say um, that actually doing that... Um, 
like even if you're not planning to go self-employed set up on your own do whatever like um pushing for it and going out your way and building a personal brand on someone else's time um is actually a great it's, it's such a great thing to do as an estate agent because your personal brand is your reputation isn't it and that'll carry mm-hmm. them through whether they go to another independent on the high street or whatever, it's life. just great. I start getting emails from bosses of corporates saying things like, do it on Sunday time. <laughs> Let's just, you know, not, you know, actually be a state and just do the gig, but you find 10 minutes quick. Well, that'll help them in the video. meantime. Pardon? It will help them in the meantime. It will help well, the actually, agency. Oh, no, I, I'm out. in complete agreement. Yeah. Grow your personal brand. Yeah. Um, it always baffles me that um, an agency, a corporate, or even a, an independent will say to their team, don't do video. I don't want you to build your own personal brand. Like, I mean, it's, it's naff, but you know, if, w- there's no yeah. downside. There's no downside. If they spend the next six months, 12 months, 18 months building it, that's only going to attract things to your business. And if they decide to move on, they're not taking your, your, your database of sales clients. They're just taking a database of people that follow them online. I find it astonishing that people yeah. um, don't encourage it more. So yeah, great advice, Joe. Um, Wendy, big finish. What have you got for us? Okay, this is this is controversial. Oh, oh you know me. yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I've been a vendor recently. Um, and after going with a, a smaller agent that I would always go to first, an independent, I ended up going to Chesterton's. Mm-hmm. And they have been brilliant. So wow. shout out for Chesterton's in St. John's Wood. Wow, they have great. been they've been really good. I really did not want to go to a corporate, but Sam at Chesterton's, he's talk about tenacious, talk about great sales progression. Seriously. What's, um, we'll really give Sam impressive. a proper shout out. What's his surname, Wendy? Um or you can let us know if you yeah, want. Yeah, I'll tell you because I can't no. I can't remember. Um I don't mean I I just call him Sam. Yeah. He's been brilliant. So that's my shout out. Um do you see, now, just just to interrupt, Wendy, do you see that, boys, how Wendy's gone for someone that's not one of her mates in her network? See that, Wendy? Well done, Wendy. Well oh, done. Massive you. thumbs I up. I forgot what the other question was. Um, great piece of advice. for. for oh, great piece of advice. Be open-minded like I wasn't <laughs> and <laughs> think about things that are outside your comfort zone. No, you know what? I agree with you guys. It's all about video. Um, personally, I love it, but I've really been trying to get all of the team, all of our team out there on social media and slowly but surely it works a treat. It's hard for us. We're in a, we're in a, um, quite an urban area. It's quite built up. It's not like we're somewhere in, you know, a smaller place where we can get to know everybody because it's villagey or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but join all the local groups, join the Facebook groups and, um, build your brand on yourself. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. It's, we're the same. In London, it's so difficult. Um, it's a very different concept to deliver yeah. in, a, in a high, you know, in a busy city or a busy town, the way you use social media, the way you interact with the community. But it doesn't mean it can't be done. The local Facebook groups are brilliant as long as you're not posting, I just sold this because you can expect to get a lot of abuse around that. But there's so much good stuff you do. So great advice, everyone. Um Chesterton, St. John's Wood, Sam. That's good. That's great. That's that's so refreshing because everyone shouts out their mate, don't they, lads? Um, but that was good. <laughs> um, so uh, what have I got to sign off with? Firstly, I have to sign off with on Friday this week, the Agents, Give, Agents Do Strictly charity ball is taking place. 
um, somehow I am in it, which is horrendous. Um, we may play a little clip, although I'm not sure I'm there yet for playing a little clip. We may edit it in, we may not. Um, but most importantly, as soon as this finishes, you just jump on Google, you go to Just Giving, you type in agents do strictly, something along those lines, and you find me and you donate to me because I haven't raised enough money yet. Whereas everyone else in the group seems to have raised a fortune and I'm still I'm still doing podcasts. Um, so that's this Friday. Great cause. Get behind it. Really helpful. Um, give us a like. Give us a subscribe because as usual, I've waited till the end of the episode to say it. And I meant to say it at the start. Clearly an amateur in this world. Final thank you. Adam, Wendy, Joe. You've been brilliant. Joe, absolute superhero. Thanks for saving the day. Pleasure. Uh, guys, you've been exceptional as I knew you would be. Um, like Beckenbauer at the back, just pulling the strings, watching you three guys smash it. Um, what a reference that is, Beckenbauer. No one's, <laughs> so few people are going to know what that reference is. Um, but yeah, okay. Um, thanks, guys. We're going to sign out now with Watkins doing his weekly whimsy. Thank you so much. See you soon. Cheers. Thank you. One of the biggest things that hold us back in life is fear. What if actually fear was something that was a pointer to where you should be going? Use it as your compass and break through that fear and who knows what's on the other side.